Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. 1 Samuel is where you want to be in your Bible, 1 Samuel. As we continue to go through the book of 1 Samuel, we're in chapter 24. 1 Samuel 24 is our text tonight. We're going to look at the actions of the anointed one, and we're drawing parallels between King David and the ultimate greater David, which is Jesus Christ. We're going to look at David's behavior. David is the anointed one, and Jesus is the ultimate anointed one. Jesus is the greater David. And when you know Shane was praying at the end of the time of worship, and he was saying that we can't do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit, how true that is, how much David recognized that, how much even Jesus, remember, before his public ministry really even commences, the Holy Spirit does what? Comes down like a dove and lights upon him. And Acts 10.38 says, we know Jesus of Nazareth, that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good. If Jesus needed to be anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more us? But there's, a, there's something else, there's another layer that we're going to bring out tonight, and it's this, and we've been talking about it a little bit, and, and it's the painful journey to a throne, you could say for the, the kids of God, the kids of the kingdom, it's a painful journey into the kingdom. Not into the kingdom of God in the sense of salvation. But I'm talking about getting to our ultimate destination. It's not easy going through this life. Sometimes it seems like the waters are smooth and glassy and everything's cool. And sometimes it feels like you just go from one storm to another. If you've ever been out in the ocean and you get caught in the waves and you just you know, finally get under one, and you look up, and here comes another big one. That's kind of how life feels. Sometimes you feel like you're in the washing machine. I used to surf quite a bit, and we would talk about being caught in the washing machine, and sometimes you'd be out on a surfboard, and you get your leash caught with another surfer, and that was terrible because then surfboards were flying at your head while you were trying to survive waves and get your next breath. And that's how life feels sometimes, and that's what David's been going through. Remember, he's been on the run from Saul, there's been a nationwide manhunt. He is the target. And even though he's been anointed by the prophet Samuel and he is the coming king, he has not realized the throne. His life has been difficult. And he's been penning many psalms. Uh, we, we've gone through 1 Samuel and we've looked and seen how many times the heading of a psalm is actually from a moment in David's life when he's hiding in a cave and this fanatic is after him again and again and again. He seems to have no rest. He's got God's blessing on him. He knows God sovereignly, providentially is protecting him, but he's tired, he's poured out, he's sick of it. And you're going to see now that an event will happen in a cave in 1 Samuel 24 where David has a chance to put it all to an end. In fact, you would say that Saul is going to be served on a silver platter to David. He is literally going to be a sitting duck before King David. And David is not going to kill Saul. Even though his whole life, every agony he's experiencing pretty much is at the hands of this guy. He's the cause of David's problems. And now, and even David's men are going to say, you know, God's just given them to you. Just, let's just end this. And David's men have to be sick and tired of it too, amen? I mean, he's got 600 men with him right now. They're not the top brass. They're not the most select. But they've stood by his side, but they're sick of this too. There's a lot of pressure on David. You may be feeling a little bit of pressure tonight. You know you're God's kid. You know that, you know, you know where you're headed, but life is not easy sometimes. And 
It says, now it came about when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines. If you were with us last time, uh, Saul was enclosing uh, among the ranks of David. It looked like it was going to come to an end. And all of a sudden, a report came. The Philistines are up to no good. And Saul left. And he went to pursue the Philistines. God's providential hand saved David. And Saul pursued the Philistines. It sounds like he was successful, 24-1. He was told, saying, behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. So right after Saul deals with the Philistines, David is spared. Now the intel comes to King Saul from his people, his network. Hey, we know where David is. He's now in the strongholds of En Gedi. If you were with us last Wednesday, I took you to En Gedi with some pictures. I showed you this oasis in the desert. En Gedi is a place where you're in the Judean wilderness. You're kind of near the Dead Sea Scroll discovery and the, the Sea of Salt and all the southern part of Israel. There's a lot of desert there. And all of a sudden, you come upon this oasis in the desert. I showed you pictures. There's ibex there. There's wildlife. There's several waterfalls that come down from a natural spring. And that, that's a place, En Gedi, where you'd never want to leave. And David you know, found some relief there at En Gedi. He found living waters, running water, and it was good. It was a relief. That's where he was. But now he's been located. And it just seems like in life, you get some times of oasis, but they don't seem to last. <laughs> or you go on vacation and then you need a vacation from your vacation. You can all relate to that, right? So the, the, the word came, Saul is done with the Philistines for the moment, and he's not going to rest. Right after David, he goes again. And Saul took 3,000. That's a five-to-one advantage because David's only got 600 chosen men. His men are different. They're the elite. David's were the depressed, poured out, in debt, all those people. And went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. Now, I told you that there's all kinds of wildlife in En Gedi, and this is probably an outcropping of some sort of rock formation and there were all kinds of goats or ibex here. And so that's basically what's going on is that David's up in this region and uh, David and his men are right here at this location called the Rocks of the Wild Goats. And um, David is now going to have to deal with Saul again. David being a type of Jesus Christ, we do know that Satan came to Jesus and tempted him and uh, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. You see this in Matthew 4, Luke 4. And said, hey, I'll give you all this if you just will what? Bow down and worship me, right? You don't have to go the way of the cross. You don't have to go the way of pain, the way of tears. Let's just get this over right now. This is at the very beginning of Jesus's, really his ministry. He was impelled by the Holy Spirit. And he faced the devil. And the devil gave him a very real temptation. Do it this way. And this is what David is going to be faced with now. It, he came to the sheepfold. So verse 2 tells us that uh, Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel, went to seek David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats, and he came to the sheepfolds. If you have an NIV, it says sheep pens on the way. New King James says by the road, but I think we're up in the upper kind of uh, hills here where the rocks are. And there, were, there was wildlife here. And what the shepherds would do is they would build makeshift sheepfolds or sheep pens. And uh, there would be a cave or an opening. And remember in the sheepfold imagery of John chapter 10, the shepherd literally becomes the door. And they would bring their uh, flocks in there. Sometimes there would bring, be multiple flocks. And the shepherds would call their sheep. They would name them all. And their sheep knew the shepherd's voice. In fact, we're told that 
uh, sheep would only come if they hear their shepherd's voice. And each of them would be named. And then the shepherd at night would lie in the opening to keep predators away. And they would, since flocks would move around and look for, you know, grazing wherever they could find, well, there were makeshift communal sheepfolds everywhere. And it reminds us that the Lord is our shepherd, right? He is the door. He is the shepherd of the sheep. He lays down his life. Here's a picture of the sheepfold for his sheep. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, John 10, 10, that they might have life and have it to the full. That's what Jesus wants for you. And part of that full life is protection. And so he came to the sheepfold, sheep pens on the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in, here's your Bible in black and white, to relieve himself. This was a royal bathroom break. It's a nice way of putting it. And, you know, the army's been moving around quite a bit, and Saul feels the call of nature. Literally, the Hebrew is, he went in to cover his feet. Um, that means that uh, he was going to spend a little time in the cave. Let's just put it that way. And just, it just so happened that David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. Now, you have to understand what's going on here. In terms of the topography and geography of this area, I've showed you some pictures of it. There are caves everywhere. How is it that Saul has ended up in the very cave where all of David's men are? Well, I, th- I think there's a very simple answer. This is the cave that had the sign men. <laughs> so that's the one he went into. <laughs> now, this is obviously... This is a moment of God's providential hand, amen? Of all the caves, you know, imagine that you're one of David's men and you're sitting there and you just take a peek and maybe there's a little light coming into the cave and you go, no way. (laughs) No way. Hey, David, guess who's in the cave? No, you'll never guess. Of all the caves. And this is not such a royal moment. And uh, the the king has gone in there, and because of the reason for being in there, there's probably no bodyguard with him. He would have a personal bodyguard or multiple bodyguards most of the time, but in this moment, he doesn't. And, And Saul, for that matter, is blissfully unaware that there are hundreds of men in this cave, and they're all filled with glee because they're thinking to themselves, this dude is dead. This guy that's the problem, all the cause of our problems, God has now offered him to us on a silver platter. Could it get any better? David, just take your sword. It's obvious that God has given you this moment and kill him. Let's be done with this whole thing. And so there's Saul. There's David and his men sitting in the recesses of the cave. And the men uh, of David said to him, Behold, look, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Now, Bible students, we don't know if this is an actual prophecy because we don't have it anywhere else in the Bible. We have no record that this was delivered to David earlier. We have prophecies about David overcoming his enemies, like the Philistines and so forth, but we do not have this as a direct prophecy. So there's all kinds of conjecture. Some people say this is just the men throwing something at David, putting a little positive twist on it. Or it could be that this is a prophecy that just has not yet been recorded for us. But the prophecy is interesting because it says, Behold, this day, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand. Now notice this part. 
And you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Let's assume for the moment that this is a legitimate, truthful prophecy spoken to David. The option, if it's true, if this is legit, has been given to him to decide what to do. Here's your enemy. Now you get to decide. Do you know that a lot of your life, we've been talking about the journey as Christians, right? And we, we ask the question, why tears, why pain, why not? Why don't we just end up at this millennial reign of Jesus Christ? Why do we have to go through this journey of life? Well, part of it is because God is doing something that is not just about you. He's doing stuff on multiple layers. He's doing stuff that have to do with his kingdom and have to do with deeper pictures and forming character and revealing character. And you know that in decisions in your life, even when you could make a, a spiritual twist on something and say, you know what, God must have done this for me, and maybe you can even somehow justify in your mind breaking a scripture because you, you somehow put the pieces together somewhere else. Or somebody else has told you of a modern quote somewhere where it sounds pretty good, but you know there's a scripture telling you not to do that. We can find all kinds of reasons. And imagine the temptation that must have been before David. He knows that if he takes the sword right now and kills this guy, his problems, at least having to do with Saul and the throne and on being on the run, are over. How many of us have had moments like that where a shortcut, an easy, quick fix could have solved our problems and somebody put it before us and even put a God twist on it. This must be God doing this for you, right? We can find all kinds of reasons to see God's fingerprints where they may not be. Mm. And so now David is faced with a real decision. The men are telling him, hey, the Lord set this up for you. And so David arose. He's got his sword in hand. And I mean, if you're sitting in the cave and you're one of David's men, you're thinking, cool, he's about to kill him and we'll move on. But that's not what David does. David arose and he cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. Now, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to give you a guess here. And this is speculation. I think that Saul has laid aside his robe for the moment. I don't know if he's wearing his robe. Either way, stealthily, somehow, David has been able to cut off the edge of the robe. And uh, Saul, of course, is in no position to do much about it. But he doesn't, he's not aware of what's gone on. So David somehow has been able to get to the robe and cut off the edge of the robe. Now, there's much more than just cutting off a piece of garment. David knows what he's done in the ancient world if you cut off the edge of the robe of a, of a king like this, it spoke of rebellion. And in fact, the Jews kept tassels on the edge of their robe. And the tassels often held scripture. And maybe the cutting off of the edge of the robe in some way is a message that Saul doesn't obey the Torah, doesn't obey God's law. But, but the tearing off of the edge of the king's robe, think of the royal robe, could also speak of the fact that the kingdom is being torn from Saul and coming to David. David will hold the power. It will shift from Saul's family to David's family. We saw this when uh, Samuel's robe was torn and that became a picture, right? We're not going to mix the symbols here, but that's, that's what's going on here. There's some sort of symbolic gesture in the cutting off of the robe. And it came about, verse 5, afterwards that David's conscience or his heart bothered him. You might ask the question as a student of the Bible, why? He didn't do anything other than he should have probably killed him. Everybody else was saying, just kill the guy. He's been offered to you. 
And David just cut off the edge of his robe, but he understands the symbolism here. And he feels in his heart, his heart is cut. You ever been there before? You've done something and you understand that there's, there's a deeper layer of meaning here of what you did. And David's conscience is bothered just by the fact that he cut off the robe. And I want you to just pause for a second and think with me. This reveals something about David that we need to see. He is the man after what? He's the man after God's own heart. He's the man that has a conscience here. And he hasn't done anything that we would deem terrible. In fact, his men would say, you did what? You just cut off his robe? Are you kidding me? And you're troubled? But David has a heart like God's. And he knows that Saul, for all his faults and all his problems, is still holding an office. And he does not want to dishonor him. And so his conscience, literally, uh, David's heart struck him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. In Matthew 5, 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the gentle or meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness, brothers and sisters, is not weakness. It is power under control. You need to remember that because sometimes people think that if you're a gentle soul and you have a troubled conscience over things, that maybe you're just some sort of weak dude. No, David is a stronger warrior than most of us can imagine. He has taken down a giant. He has defeated the Philistines. David has no problem with a good fight. But David is answering to a higher authority, and he has a conscience. And even though he is a warrior, he is also soft in heart. Can you be both? You know, to be a real man, sometimes we think, well, a real man is only this. No, a real man can be a combination of steel and velvet, as, the, as somebody said about Abraham Lincoln. He was that combination. He could be strong when he needed to be strong, but he was also sensitive to God. In fact, in the list of fruits of the Spirit, one of them is gentleness, which is the same word for meekness. And it says we're, uh, one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness, and another one is self-control. That's uh, Galatians 5.23. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. He must be temperate, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. He's not to be addicted to wine or pugnacious, but he's to be gentle, 1 Timothy 3.3, uncontentious, free from the love of money. David is a true leader. Everybody else is telling him to take the shortcut, to murder Saul, And David probably has all the legitimate reasons in the world and even a spiritual twist has been put on it and yet David's conscience is bothered just by the fact of doing something symbolic. If you are going to be a leader, you're going to have to sometimes go against the grain. You may have your friends gossiping, talking about people, and it's easy to jump into that fray, isn't it? It's easy to jump into that and say, yeah, that's right, I noticed that about that person, yeah. That haircut, I don't understand. (laughs) or whatever it is, right? Yeah, that person is like that, you know? And we jump into this this fray of gossiping about people. Or, you know, we, we say things about, you know, it's just easy to do that. And David said, no. He said to his men, far be it six from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, that refers to Saul, the Lord's anointed to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. David, this is an amazing thing. He he respects the office and he says, I am not going to take this into my hands. And this had to be such a powerful temptation for him. 
And you know, in life, you're going to have all these temptations to take things into your own hands. It's a temptation for all of us, right? We can read, you know, signs and we can try to speed things up and we're movers and shakers, a lot of us, right? We know how to get things done and to try to wait upon the Lord, even for David to come to a throne. It speaks volumes of who he really is and what he's about. Can I ask you, can you learn from David's example? Not to try to take matters into your own hands. You know, when we do take matters into our own hands, what it says is we lack is faith. We lack faith. And look, let's all admit it, I'm going to be real tonight, I often lack faith. That's why I do it, right? I'm not sure. Maybe the Lord doesn't have this one. (laughs) Maybe he needs my help, right? So we try to speed things along, and David wouldn't do it. And he had to go show his men. You see, there are other people watching you when you take shortcuts, There are other people watching you when you decide not to pray about something or you say one thing, you preach one thing, but you do another. David is that rare leader who wants to live his life in God's honor. He didn't do it perfectly either, but let's take this moment for what it is. And David persuaded his men seven with these words. He did not allow them to rise up against Saul. You can kind of feel the tension in the cave. If you're not going to do it, (laughs) I tell you what, I'm sick and tired of living in caves. The ibex are fun to look at. The waterfalls have been pleasant. But I'm sorry, I'm done. There's 600 men who are sick of this guy. And he's been served up. Are you kidding me, David? Can you hear the voices in the cave? You have to be kidding me. No. Okay, you don't want to kill him? (laughs) I'll kill him. Because I'm sick of this guy. This man, David, is a leader. He persuades his men with these words. Words are powerful. And he did not allow them. You almost get the picture that each one of them are rising up and David's holding them back. He did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. And I bet you there were a bunch of heated up soldiers in that cave just going, you have to be kidding me. I mean, these guys are closing in on our location and we didn't cut off the head of the snake. Wow, I don't know. Maybe there's something wrong. You're supposed to be this great warrior, this tactician. You know, I don't know, David. Now afterward, David arose and he went out of the cave and called after Saul. Now he's about to take a huge risk because Saul's gone out of the cave. Now I would imagine based upon, you know, the land and what's going on that Saul's army is a little ways away, but there's 3,000 men somewhere close by, maybe a couple bodyguards a couple hundred miles away, or not a couple hundred miles away, uh, you know, say uh, a couple hundred yards away. That's, that's what I was trying to say, not miles, yards. But Saul's just kind of made his way out of the cave, and David now arises. He's about to expose their location. And he called, he arose, and he went out of the cave, and he called after Saul. And he said, my lord, the king, And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. Can you see a bunch of soldiers right behind David going, no way. You've got to be kidding me. He's bowing before this guy, right? David's down on the ground. He's not worshiping Saul, but he is humbling himself before a man who's in an office that's higher than him at the moment. It's incredible. There's something else about David you need to see, and what you need to see about David is humility. 
David knows he's the anointed one. He's had some great victories by the power of God's hand, and yet he's willing to humble himself before this man. He gets prostrate on the ground, and he calls out to him. He's risked his position. He's risked his army. He's risked, risked everything, his life. But he's about to make a speech. It's, I think, the longest speech recorded in 1 Samuel. And Proverbs 25.11 says, Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. We're not very good communicators, are we, people? Especially in times of tension. Well, this is Pastor Michael Lance. I have the privilege of sitting with Oscar Santa Cruz as we think about 1 Samuel chapter 24. Oscar, we were confronted once again with the, the man, David, who we know wasn't perfect. You know, In 1 Samuel, we can see he, he's had some moments. We, if we read ahead to 2 Samuel, we can see his major blunder with Bathsheba. And he, he handled some things wrong. But we do see a man of great nobility, great courage, great honor, uh, surprisingly um, compassionate mm-hmm. and um, you know almost really bowing to the office, even though Saul is so unworthy at this point in our eyes. You know, here's the anointed one. He knows he's supposed to be king. This guy's trying to kill him. And where we find ourselves is in a cave <laughs> in some unusual circumstances, don't we? <laughs> yes, yes. Well, what's unique here is that Saul chases David, and um, Saul takes 3,000 of his best warriors to chase after one guy. When David, who is a man after God's own heart, the Lord speaks to him and says, I'm going to give to you your enemy, and you can do with him what you feel is good. And so we see that David gets close, and as Saul is sleeping, all he does is remove the chevron or the ham off, off of Saul's robe. And what does he do afterwards? He, he laments of what he did, the, the disrespect, not only of the office, but also of the man. And without getting too political in today's uh, news and stuff that's going on for these past eight years and continuing now for these next four, uh, many people have not been... Um, respectful towards the office of president and so we see how people are reacting which is a shame we are encouraged to pray for our leaders and so we see David how he fell at Saul's feet asking for forgiveness for this yeah and Oscar we talked about how the Bible says his conscience bothered him and conscience is a combination of words con is with and science means knowledge and when we have knowledge of something and we cross a barrier, um, it can bother us. And, and it shows you something about the man, David. You know, as much as uh, we could say, well, if God gave me a blank check today and mm. said, you can do whatever you want to your mortal enemy, what do you want to do? <laughs> oh, man. Well, you know, I mean, in our flesh, yes, we would say, this guy's been a total thorn in my side. I've been hiding. I've been on the run. He's been chasing me. Uh, you know, there's there's very little times when I can get a, a peaceful night's rest and you name it. Um, this would be a way to, you know, quickly eliminate your problems. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. 
You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.